0: So, in May, that's since it's May 1st, uh, other than the Children's um, Celebration Sunday, we're going through a short uh, series on conflict resolution. Now, about three years ago or so, I also uh, did a, a, um, this series, and so I think, well, why are you returning that? You preached that already three years ago. Well, let's get real. We don't even remember what I preached about. Two months ago, let alone three years ago. Not only that, but you know, uh, conflict resolution in the last three years. I would say that it's it's not like oh we don't have any conflict anymore in our society. I think about some of the conflicts that have happened in the last three years. We've uh, you know, COVID has caused conflict. Um, Uh, racial tensions, political tensions. So yeah, over the last three years, I would say that we've increased in conflict. Not only that, but 2022, we say is, we want it to be a year of connection. That as, you know, we come through the pandemic and a lot of times we've been disconnected, that we want to connect more with God, connect with one another, and connect with our community well, we can't connect deeply with one another unless we know how to resolve conflict, right? Because a lot of times conflict happens and then the connection is broken. So if we want a true deep connection with one another, we need to know how to resolve conflict. So I thought, you know, let's, let's go back. Let's re-examine um, this issue of conflict resolution. And conflict is inevitable when we're dealing with fallen, fallible human beings, right? And and God's given us free will. Now, many people fear conflict, they avoid conflict, but we can redeem conflict in a way that both glorifies God and it grows us and grows us closer together, now, conflict is not necessarily sinful. We often think of conflict as sinful, but it's not necessarily sinful. The problem is, is that in the midst of conflict, we often, uh, we often end up sinning because we don't know how to handle it, but conflict in and of itself is not sinful. Uh, think about it. God commands us to do certain things that kind of cause conflict. I think of uh, Acts chapter 1, 8. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The disciples start following that. And then the uh, religious leaders say, hey, stop being a witness for Jesus in Jerusalem. And they say, no, we, we have to obey God, not people. And that escalates the conflict. Not only that, but um, the Scripture tells us that if we have a a wayward brother or sister, they are in conflict with God, and a part of us as a church body is is where to to come alongside and help guide them and, and, and confront if necessary, and that causes conflict. So there's many times in Scripture where conflict is necessary, it's commanded by God, and it doesn't have to be sinful. And conflict, even conflict caused by sin, uh, if resolved properly, can cause us to grow, to grow closer to God. And it can glorify God because Christ brought redemption, the ultimate res- resolving of conflict. And Scripture commands us to, um, in, in Ephesians 4.3, it says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how are, we going to, how are we eager to preserve unity, eager to preserve the bond of peace? Well, in order to do that, we have to resolve conflict, right? Um, and so we'll be using, uh, just like three years ago, this book called Resolving Conflict, or I'll be referring to it, and if anyone wants to borrow it, you can, by Lou Priolo. Okay, again, Captain Lou. Uh, this is a, it's a great book, and he uses Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3 as his guiding scripture. On resolving conflict. So that's going to be our scripture for the this series as well. And so let me read that scripture. Ephesians four, one through three. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now let's look at the context because you know I'm not just going to pull that scripture out without looking the context. So in the first 3 chapters of Ephesians, and we've gone through Ephesians before, but the first 3 chapters of Ephesians, the apostle Paul, he lays out all the blessings, all the inheritance that we have as children of God, that because of Christ we're reconciled with God and with one another, that we have the spirit that all of this goodness and 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 uh, mercy and eternal life is given to us. And then in chapter 4 is the therefore. Therefore, in light of this wonderful gift, we should walk in a manner worthy of that gift. And a part of walking in that manner worthy is maintaining the bond of peace. The bond of peace, the connection, right? That's what a bond of peace is. It is a connection. That's, and In order to do that, it means we have to redeem conflict. We have to redeem it for God's glory and our growth. And the depth of resolution, okay, it... it the, the closer the relationship, the closer the connection, the, the deeper the resolution has to be. Uh, what I mean by that is that if there's a conflict between a husband and wife, that degree of reconciliation resolution, it has to be deeper than, for instance, two business partners or two business associates who happen to disagree on something. right? Yeah, there has to be resolution to that conflict, but it could just be like, OK agree to disagree, we'll just move on, as opposed to husband and wife, that, that resolution has to be deeper, right? Nonetheless, we, we need to um, resolve conflict in all of our relationships, but just understand those, the deeper the relationship, the deeper the, the resolution, the more work that it takes but in all of our relationships. We need to be eager to maintain that bond of peace. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, right? Blessed be the peacemakers. So um, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, that's what this series is about. So true redeeming conflict, true connection is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's more than you know figuring out a few communication skills, because oftentimes, we think, well, if I, if I just know how to communicate better, I mean, that helps. But true, deep resolution, it's a heart issue. And therefore, uh, we're going to address the heart issues that will greatly affect our ability to resolve conflict. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, it states four heart issue uh, qualities that if we develop these in our hearts, it'll help us resolve qua- uh, conflict. So in, in Ephesians 4, 2, it states humility and gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. Okay, some translations say tolerate uh, with tolerance. So, so humility and gentleness, that's what we'll talk about today. Those are heart attitudes. And then next week we'll talk about patience and bearing with one another in love. Because redeeming conflict, resolving conflict is much more likely if you have a, a heart of humility and a heart of gentleness. And this is challenging because our culture, these attitudes run counter to our culture. Um, we, we live in a culture of self-centeredness and, and outrage, right? So think about social media. Social media is kind of like a microcosm of what goes on in, in um, think about that. What is it? social media full of? Well, selfies, right? You don't take pictures of other people anymore. You take pictures of yourself. So there's there's selfies. There's a self-centeredness, and and put downs, right? Social media is full of put downs, belittling people that disagree with you. There's that's why there's it seems like in our culture there's well there's less there's more conflict because there's less humility there's less gentleness. And Christians should be different. As Christians, we should be different because we don't just have our culture. We don't just follow along with everyone. We have uh, the, the Spirit of God living in us. And the Spirit of God is a spirit of gentleness. And Christ, our Savior, He's a Savior who walks in humility. So we don't just have ourselves to rely on. We can rely on God, and that should fill us into overflowing so that we are different now, when I say we're different, over my 20 years of ministry, what I've noticed is Christians, we try, we try to be better at conflict. We try to be peacemakers, but we fall short in that. What I've noticed is as many Christians, what, what we do is we just avoid and we run away from conflict. Now that's not the same as resolving it. That's not doing using conflict for our growth. It's not just fleeing from conflict. Because what does the Scripture say? It says, be diligent, be eager to preserve the bond of peace. So just running away, that's not preserving the bond. That's separating. So as Christians, yes, we, we don't, we, we don't want to belittle and we don't want to fight, but we also that, want to truly resolve conflict because what's the goal? See, a part of this is that we don't, know, we don't even know what church is. So if church is like a, a gym membership, then yeah, you just, you know, just leave this, this, this gym and go to another gym, go to, go to Gold's Gym instead of Planet Fitness, because then you can flex and, you know, no one, no one judges, you know, that's normal there at Gold's Gym, where he's not supposed to do that, I think. Um, I don't know where I, why these things <laughs> pop into my head. I really don't know why they pop into my head. Um, But see, the goal, the goal of our gatherings, our Christian gatherings, is, well, later in Ephesians, Paul states it this way. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the goal, it's not peace as an absence of all conflict. The goal is a peace that's based in true unity of the Spirit, right, from growing towards Christ's likeness together. And so when when there's conflict in in our church body, right, usually what happens is people just disappear. Like, where did anyone go? Or they just announce it, I'm leaving. Like, well, I didn't even know that we had a conflict, But no, leave well, leave well in a way that leads to resolution to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So that's just kind of a side note that I felt like, you know, I wanted to go down that road because sometimes we as Christians think, all right, resolving conflict is just running from conflict. No, no, because conflict is an opportunity for growth in any relationship, especially in church relationships, but also in our marriage relationships, in our friend relationships. And if we can resolve it, Again, it glorifies God and it grows us. But we have to have those heart attitudes, right? Humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. Humility. Humility is not thinking more highly of yourself than you should, right? That's pride. Pride is thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. And biblical humility also involves deferring to others in reflection of Christ. Because Christ emptied himself for our sake. Uh, so being Christ-like means being humble. So if we're growing to be Christ-like, we should be growing in humility. The Apostle Paul says it in Philippians 2, 5-8, a very famous passage. When he wants to direct the Philippian church, he's like, I want you to be humble, so let me point to Christ as the example. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but he emptied himself Um, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ, he didn't cling to his rights but voluntarily lowered himself in obedience to God and for love for one another for others. And so Christ think about this Christ redeemed our conflict with God because we've all rebelled against God. We're all in conflict with God. He's God and we're not, but we and so we're in conflict with him. And how did Christ redeem our conflict with God? Through humility. He humbled himself and gave his life for us. And as we, you know, we're going to observe communion today, the Lord's Supper, and in that we focus on his humility. We focus that through Christ's blood, he brought us peace with God, but also peace with one another. So that's why the Apostle Paul focuses on that. So Christ-like humility, it means we are humble towards God, but we're also humble towards one another. We're humble towards God in that we submit, to God's word. We understand he is God and we're not. Now, some Christians are not humble like Christ because they don't submit themselves to God's word. And that's a part of humility. So it's not humility just to be nice. The humility is saying, no, God is God and I'm gonna submit myself to his word. But just doing what we think is best or going along with the culture, that's not humility. That's pride and putting human wisdom above God's. And it's true, though. When we actually submit ourselves to God's word, we're going to be in conflict with our culture. We're going to be in conflict with the world because the world is in conflict with God. I mean, after all, Jesus was killed, and he was the most humble man. And that's why some conflict is inevitable. But we humbly obey God and we, and we can be sure if, we, if we're humbly obeying God that the inevitable conflicts in our world will be a conflict that's caused because we're seeking God's glory and not our own glory. Because see, there's a lot of times conflict is caused through our pride. But when we're following God, that conflict is for His glory. But even in conflicts that are caused by our obedience to God, we still need to be humble towards other people as well. We need to maintain the right attitudes that reflect Christ as much as possible so we can bring peace of the Spirit into the situation. Because yes, we have to also be humble towards one another. Because Christ, he was willing to lose his life to win souls. And we also should be humble enough to lose an argument and prefer to show love. But if we always have to be right, if we always have to have the last word, that's going to cause conflict. Christ lost his life because he entrusted himself to God. And understanding that God has the last word, and we, can be, and we should be content with that that God has the last word, and I'm glad he has the last word. So I need to be right in his eyes. I don't need to win in other people's eyes. It's humility. Now, unlike Christ, we also have to understand that we're not God, that we're not God, and we, we don't control others. Um, we need to be humble enough to know that we don't need to control other people. We don't need to control outcomes, that sometimes we don't know what's best. Right? Not humility. It's understanding. Sometimes we don't know. We're not God. How many conflicts are, are increased because we assume we know what's best for another person? Until you are in the other person's shoes, be humble enough to assume that they fit in their shoes better than you do. And then try to understand. Try to understand people because if we're truly going to help others, we first have to understand people. As Christians, one, one of the things that sometimes Christians come off as being such know-it-alls. And, and no, this, we're supposed to be humble and want to understand folks so that we can actually help them. Instead of coming at them, well, I know better than you, so let me tell you what you need to do. No, first humbly understand where that person's coming from. Understand where they're at. And then you're going to be building a bond of peace, peace with that person, instead of sort of, you know, imposing your peace on that person. We need to understand that we aren't God. We don't know much. We don't know much at all. So under, seek to understand first. So humility it it facilitates peacemaking. It facilitates unity, but pride stirs up strife. Proverbs thirteen ten. And I'm going to read the NIV version. It says, where there is strife, there is pride. Right? Pride is the opposite of humility, and it undermines conflict resolution. And so pride, again, is considering ourselves or wanting others to consider us beyond what God has appointed. Um, so um, if you're already the most humble person here, um, you, know, you might not need to listen to this. Um, but let me give you some symptoms symptoms that i want us to look at ourselves symptoms of a prideful heart and then so i wanted to ask, i want you to show these symptoms and you can we can examine our hearts to see if they're true of us but then i also want you to think about how do these symptoms actually escalate resolution and conflict all right so first of all sy- symptom number 1 oversensitive to criticism Examine your heart. Are you oversensitive to criticism? And then also think of it. If someone is oversensitive to criticism, how does that usually expand conflict, make conflict worse? Constantly exaggerating your strengths and minimizing your flaws. Another symptom. Trouble being a team player. Responding defensively or trying to shift blame when you make a mistake. Not being able to admit when you're wrong or you can do better. Do you see any of these things in your heart? And think about each one. If that's in the situation, if that's in the interaction, that's going to escalate conflict. That's because that's what pride does. Pride escalates conflict. Humility decreases it. But let's, let's dive into that last bit one a, a little bit more. Not being able to admit when you're wrong or can do better. Um... Scripture says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are fallible human beings. We can't know everything. We can't read minds. We can't remember everything. We can't do everything without a mistake. And it is prideful to assume that you are always right and mistake-free. I mean, that goes beyond our place as created beings that have fallen infallible. But it's also prideful to assume and expect that of other people, right? To assume that, oh, you made a mistake, you know, as if the expectation is 100% accuracy all the time. That goes beyond our place. Assume instead that in every situation that you could do better, and it helps resolve conflict. Even if, say you're in a conflict with someone, you're in an argument with somebody, even if they're really wrong, 90% wrong, and you're only 10% wrong, you are responsible for you. Take responsibility for your 10% and that will lead towards resolution of the conflict. See, too many times we want to point out the other person's 90% because, yeah, they are more wrong, but we can't control other people. We're not God. And if we, in humility, acknowledge our 10%, that usually will bring that other person along. Think, Think about the difference. Say you're in a disagreement. You're in an argument. You can go the blaming route because you want that person to acknowledge their 90%. You know, you, you always do this. You never do that. What's the probable outcome? Escalation of the conflict. Instead, what if we humbly take responsibility for our part? Though, so, you know, I am sorry for losing my temper. Maybe that's all you did. The other person was really wrong, but you just blew it because they're way off. You can still take responsibility for that one part. I'm I'm sorry for losing my temper, but let's try to resolve this in a better way. You you can still disagree, but it's towards resolution. See, being humble isn't being a doormat. It's not dismissing your feeling. It's, It's acknowledging your mistakes but looking for true resolution. It's also not sweeping it under the rug. It's being Christ-like. It's looking out for the good of the other person, looking to reconcile and be a peacemaker like God has called us to be. So how do we cultivate humility? A couple of ways, quick. Well, we contemplate the cross of Christ in Philippians 2. That's why Paul, he tells the Philippians, hey, I'd like you to be humble, so let me point you to Christ. And when we meditate on Christ, when we know who He is and we understand who He is and his humility, it transforms our hearts so that naturally our hearts are more humble. And then number two is just a quick little test. In every interaction that you have, who am I raising up? You know, again, you're an interaction. maybe. It doesn't even have to be conflict. It can just be all right, a little slight disagreement here. Who am I raising up test. Am I lifting up God and lifting up the other person, or am I trying to lift myself up? All right, we need to get to gentleness. So let's go back to Ephesians 2. So humility, humility helps resolve conflict, and it's a heart thing, but so is gentleness. Back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, right? With patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the other attitude that preserves Unity that preserves peace and connection is gentleness. Gentleness, uh, Jesus is called gentle. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so what is that? What is gentleness? It's being considerate of one another and controlling our anger so as not to cause undue harm. A spirit of gentleness goes a long way to preserving the bond of peace. So gentleness is actually also uh, related to humility in that when you realize your own limitations, you don't take that holier-than-thou kind of attitude towards people. It's gentler to relate to people on the same level, is it not? It's just one beggar helping another beggar know where to find bread. That kind of gen- that humility all- is automatically more gentle with somebody. But gentleness is also controlling your anger so it doesn't cause undue harm. And, and controlling anger, it's a, it's a prominent um, subject in Scripture, especially in Proverbs. And probably because anger, it can be like throwing um, gasoline on a fire, right? Conflict's going on, there's this flames going on, and anger can be like... Throwing, throwing gasoline on that. And I mean, think about it. The more your anger grows, generally, what happens to the conflict? It usually grows as well. And so, controlling our anger is so important. Proverbs 15.1, NIV translation says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so, it's not that we can't ever express our anger, because being angry is not a sin. And there's certain things that we should be mad about, right? Injustice, we should be mad about that. But we need to control that anger so that the energy that anger produces in us, that energy is not driven towards venting or revenge or knocking people down a notch. That anger is direct, that energy of anger is directed towards resolution, Cause think about it, resolving conflict it takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? Well, anger gives you energy, and that anger, if it's directed instead towards resolving the conflict, it goes a long way. As opposed to normally, we look at our anger and go, "Oh, I'm also I gotta vent this," and that generally makes the conflict worse. I mean, think about this. Think about when if you're in a conflict, there's a difference between not being gentle and trying to cut someone down a notch because they they're, you know, someone's gotta put them in their place, right? So, you know, you're so selfish. Why don't you ever do the right thing? Venting anger, as opposed to, listen, I'm mad. I, I am upset. But how can we get this right and how can we do the right thing by one another? You see, the second one is just venting anger. The, The second one is, no, I'm acknowledging, I am mad. But how can we use our anger to make things right between us? It's a push towards resolution. It's a push towards peace. Because again, gentleness does not mean avoiding conflict. It's being considerate of the other person and avoiding unnecessary harm. Uh, Jesus is called gentle, and yet he took a stand. He confronted people. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15, one of the famous passages about ready to give a defense for our faith, right? Which means sometimes we have to be in conflict. In your hearts, honor Christ. Uh, This is 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, But in your hearts, honor Christ. Uh, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Right? Defense. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. As, As I said earlier, the apostles took a stand for Christ even though it caused conflict. But the key is not wanting to harm others and wisely controlling your anger. So when other people yell, when other people put down or belittle, we keep our words and our tone gentle. And this includes on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. It includes that. Gentleness is a byproduct of love, the command to love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we need to be filled with God's love so that we will seek not to belittle or put someone down, but that gentleness of wanting not to harm others, but to love them, wanting for them, even our enemies, to thrive. So ask, ask to be filled with the Spirit of God, and you'll be filled with his gentleness and with his love. So final application, think of the conflicts that you're in right now. So as I've been spouting off up here, um, probably some folks have come into your mind, folks that you're in conflict with. Maybe it is a close relationship, a husband or wife, or or a family member, or maybe it's a church family person that you're in conflict with, or maybe it's in the business or neighbor, whatever, we are called to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We're called to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Those conflicts that you're in, God wants to bring redemption through you into those conflicts. I know it might seem difficult. You're like, well, I think I'm a big problem in this conflict. Yeah, probably. But that's not what God wants to keep you there. He wants to work in you so that His love, His redemption, His humility, His gentleness flows through you even in the midst of a conflict, and so it glorifies Christ who we're following, but then also grows the relationship and brings a deep peace. But if we're going to have any hope of redeeming conflicts, no matter where they're at, we have to... We need Christ. We need Christ-like hearts of humility and gentleness. So we need to repent of our pride. We need to repent of our harmful anger and seek Christ in his spirit. And he will transform us from the inside out so that when we step into conflict, we're reflecting Jesus in the midst of it. Not reflecting our world that's full of outrage and, and pride. But reflecting the humble Christ who was who gentle and who brought peace and reconciliation to our conflict with god let 's pray, dear God, we pray now, we first Lord, we just open our hearts to you, Lord, we open our hearts to you, and would you bring to mind Lord, the conflicts that each one of us happens to be in. Lord, right now, bring it, bring it to our minds. And Lord, reveal to us, convict us, Lord, of how we've not been humble in that conflict, how we've not been gentle. And Lord, as best as we can, we repent. We turn from that pride and that harm and we turn to you and ask that we would be your peacemakers you would fill us with your humility and your gentleness and Lord I know it we we see our failure we see our fragility in this and so we cry out to you and ask that we would be more we'd be more like you less like ourselves, less like our world. And right now, Lord, give us the particular things, right now in our minds, things, that, our attitudes, and how we need to relate to the people we're in conflict with. And Lord, I pray that through these individual connections, these individual resolutions of these conflicts, you would bring a greater connection uh, in our church family, um, but also in our our personal relationships as well so that we would reflect you. We would be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Lord, as your people, as your church. So, Lord, we we pray that you do that mighty work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.